On this episode of Signal by the Hawaii Independent, we interview candidates running in the 2014 Democratic Party primary for Hawaii's Congressional District 1 seat in the House of Representatives. This district extends all the way from Hawaii to Kapolei and has been filled by Daniel Inouye, Patsy Mink, and current Hawaii Governor Neil Abercrombie. On this show, the Hawaii Independent's Ikaika Hussey interviews City Council Member Stanley Chang from District 4. So what actions would you take to address climate change? Well, climate change is a global priority. And I think the difference between Hawaii and a lot of other places is that we are an island state and we are actually already seeing the effects of climate change every day. So if you just drive down Alawai Boulevard in Waikiki during high tide, you can already see the ocean water, um, the salt water backing up out of the storm drains. And that's because the sea levels already are rising. And like I said, we see that every day. Here, um, in Hawaii and on the federal level, I think we need to take greater steps at renewable energy. Because for all that we're hearing about fracking and natural gas and the U.S. becoming the Saudi Arabia of natural gas, we really have an opportunity to become the Saudi Arabia of renewable energy. And in Hawaii in particular, we could really be at the cutting edge of the world for innovation in renewable energy. So for example, we have solar, we have wind, we have ocean thermal, we have geothermal, we have wave energy, we have all the different kinds of renewable energy that you know um, exist in the world today. And um, I was in Abu Dhabi not too long ago, where the sultan there, who was very foresighted, he knew that the oil is not going to last forever. So he wanted to build an entirely carbon neutral city 100% renewable energy. He searched the world for the most innovative solar panels, and he actually bought them from a company here in Hawaii. So I think it's a fantastic economic opportunity for us to develop the renewable energy sector so that we can be exporting that technology around the world and that we in Hawaii, we could be the Kuwait of renewable energy for the whole world in the future. What company did he purchase those um, panels from? Those are from Sopaji. Now, Sopaji doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and, and neither does Hoku. I mean, where, where do you see that, um, that, opportunity, that opportunity lie right now? You know, with every new innovative industry, you're going to have winners and you're going to have losers. You just look at the tech industry back in the 90s and how many of the, um, those folks are around today. Um, but the fact is, the more companies that get started, the greater the chances. All you need is one really big success story and the rest will follow. So um, we should just be actively fostering the sector um, you know, and and hoping that there that more and more of companies do start up, so that you know, who, several of them absolutely will fail, but some of them will succeed too, and that's where our future is going to be. Creative destruction, absolutely. Right. Um, some folks have been talking about the idea of a carbon uh, a carbon credit. I'm sorry, not a carbon credit, a carbon tax. And offsetting that by reducing income taxes uh, commensurately. What do you think about that idea? I think it's a great idea. A number of countries around the world have successfully implemented carbon tax and carbon trading schemes. The basic problem with um, carbon emissions and climate change is it's the tragedy of the commons, right? Because everybody sees carbon emissions as a free um, cost that they can impose on the rest of the world without, you know, without. Uh, you know, without cost themselves. And so the the concept of carbon taxes and carbon trading is, is not a new concept. It's a very old concept, which is just we are forcing people to internalize their externalities. And so if, um, because we know that carbon dioxide uh, emissions are, you know, 
causing sea level rise and disrupting our climate patterns and, uh, you know, inflicting a lot of costs on communities all over the world by, you know, by attaching a cost to it, we're going to give people an incentive to, to rein that back and to take responsibility for their emissions. Let's talk about the Middle East. Uh, right now, obviously it's in the newspapers, um, Iraq, the, the, the U.S. policies in Iraq have failed. There's there's a new war, basically, in Israel and Palestine. What adjustments do you think we should be looking at in terms of U.S. policy in the Middle East? Yeah, well, just to start on the issue of Israel um, and the current conflict that's going on there, you know, I think every nation has a right to self-defense, and I think that the state of Israel is a very tough position because most of Israel is within rocket range of the terrorists in the Gaza Strip. And I think Israel has, like every nation, the right to um, to um, uh, to respond in, in its own defense in a commensurate way to the attacks that are going on. So Israel is, is you know, I think doing a lot of really great uh, as sort of taking a lot of really positive steps to minimize the number of civilian casualties. For example, they will actually call houses that they're planning to target. They will actually drop leaflets on neighborhoods that are on the target list so that civilians can evacuate in a timely manner. And so I think we need to be very strong in our support for the state of Israel, for its right to exist and for its right to defend itself. Um, I think the Iron Dome system that the United States has supported Israel in creating has been very successful, and that's just a great example of how um, the U.S.-Israel partnership can um, produce really great benefits for both sides. And ultimately, I think that um, I, I would ref- I, I would very much favor a restarting of the peace process as long as all parties are on the same page, um, that Israel as a state does have the right to exist, that um, Israel has the right to defend itself, that all parties renounce terrorism and violence as a means of resolving conflicts. Um, and, um, and, and, and start with those among other policies. With respect to Iraq, we're seeing, you know, basically the continuation of a 14 year, a 1400 year sectarian religious civil war. I don't think the U.S. had the answers in 2003 when we went in the first time, and I don't think the U.S. has the answers today to end the fighting. Um, We've already spent, according to estimates, $4 trillion on the wars in the Middle East. We've lost about 4,500 American service member lives in Iraq, not to mention um, estimates as much as 600,000 Iraqi lives. And so I think we need to be um, supportive of the peace process in Iraq, but I don't think that we should um, expand our military involvement. I certainly would not support additional boots on the ground beyond what's absolutely necessary to secure our embassies and other diplomatic facilities. Okay, yeah, that's the key question. Yeah, um, the, the TPP, I'm sure you're familiar with, it's being fast-tracked right now. Um, it's, it's secret. The, the actual text of negotiations isn't available to the public. Um, or to, um, or to you know, a lot of interest groups. What do you think about it? I oppose the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and you already mentioned several of the reasons why. Um, first of all, the negotiations are taking place in secret, so we in the general public don't know exactly what is in and not in the document. I'm also very concerned that the TPP will have a an impact on American workers and American jobs when. 
whenever we talk about lifting um, regulations and allowing foreign companies who do not have to abide by U.S. environmental policies and labor laws and safety regulations, um, we're talking about um, situations where there's an unfair playing field. And that's something that I'm very concerned about. I'm also concerned about um, major corporations, you know, really taking advantage of the process to um, add provisions that would really protect themselves at the expense of consumers, not just here in the U.S., but around the world. That's why I oppose the fast track authority. I oppose the negotiations in secret. And when it does come to the United States Congress, I would oppose it there as well. So you would vote against that? That's correct. Okay. China is a rising power uh, and is currently engaged in territorial disputes within the South China Sea. What do you think the U.S. posture should be vis-a-vis uh, -vis China? Well, China is obviously a place where I have a lot of um, family roots, and I've spent a lot of time there growing up. We still have a lot of relatives there. Um, I have great um, uh, you know, love for China and for um, you know, the, the many people that I know there, and I welcome China's peaceful rise. I think the lifting of hundreds of millions of Chinese people out of poverty in the last generation is one of the great success stories of um, of the market economy and of uh, you know of Western principles of of capitalism. I am very concerned about the territorial disputes that are taking place right now in the East China Sea, the South China Sea, and I think that the message that the U.S. should be sending very clearly to Uh, everywhere, uh, every country in the world, is that we oppose any efforts to change the status quo in those and other regions. Um, and that principle applies to all of the countries in the region. So the clearer I think that we are now, I think the less the chance of conflict in the future. The, the question about the, US, the, about the military's presence in Hawaii has been in the papers recently. If the U.S. Army does decide to downsize, what would your response be as a congressperson? The, the strategic location of Hawaii in the middle of the Pacific Ocean cannot be underestimated. We all agree, people, experts from across the spectrum agree, that the future areas that are going to be critical to American national security in the future are going to be in the Asia-Pacific region. And Hawaii has been and will continue to be and must continue to be the linchpin of the United States presence in the Asia-Pacific as part of the pivot to Asia, as part of the U.S. being a strong Pacific power. Um, I think that like any large organization, the Defense Department has opportunities to achieve efficiencies. Um, I don't think that given our strategic location that any of those opportunities exist in Hawaii. Um, and in, with respect to individual you know, policies, I think those need to be evaluated on a case-by-case -case basis. So you're saying that you would oppose the, um, any drawdown in forces here? I don't think that would be in Hawaii's interests, and I don't think that that would be in the national security interests of the United States or in the interests of peace and stability around the world. Some of the other candidates have talked about the um, about the impact of military service persons COLA, that it's dramatically increasing the cost of living here in Hawaii. There's uh, there's an anecdote about how um, 
some coal is actually higher than starting uh, than the starting salary for teachers. What do you think about that in, in terms of you know how um, I guess the impact of the military, the cost of military here in Hawaii on on locals? Yeah, well, the cost of living here is the highest in the country. That's not a secret. Um, teachers, when adjusted for the cost of living, actually make less in Hawaii than any other state in the country. Um, we have the highest percentage of people working two or more jobs in the country. We have the highest percentage of both parents working in the country. I've met families where you know the dad worked two jobs, the mom worked full time, um, and they had a daughter, but they were homeless. They were living in their car because they couldn't afford rent. So the cost of living is an issue that's not unique to any one sector. It applies, I think, to both local residents and to the military service members who are stationed here. And the answer is not to... I think, target any one group or to blame any one group. I think that there are a number of factors that I think are, you know, a number of factors that are responsible. And one of the main ones is just the artificial limits that are being placed on growth in the housing stock here in Hawaii. So that's one thing that we should definitely look at. Another thing that we should look at, as has been successful in the past, is an expanding of military housing so that um, folks who are stationed here wouldn't necessarily feel as great a pressure to look out into the broader community for places to live, but would have a large you know, variety of places that are just within the DOD community. Um, and, and that would be another way of increasing the amount of housing stock on Oahu that would benefit everybody, ultimately. Yeah. Where do you stand on the question of, of a living wage or increasing the minimum wage? I'm in favor of increasing the minimum wage. Even at $10.10 an hour, we are still below the inflation-adjusted minimum wage when it was first introduced back in 1968, I think. Um, one of the staggering statistics that, uh, that, that, uh, about the United States today is that if you add together all of the Wall Street bonuses that have been paid to executives there, that number is actually greater than all of the wages paid to all of the minimum wage workers in one year in the United States. So when we're talking about $10.10 an hour, when we're talking about the inequality gap, um, I think it's extremely difficult to make ends meet in, here in Hawaii. And I think we should um, continue to fight for these policies that will enable local people to, to thrive and to be successful here. Should we be raising taxes on the rich? I think that we can what I think the best policy when it comes to taxation that's fairest for everybody and um, fairest and uh, for the economy as a whole is to close loopholes and to broaden the base. And this is generally speaking a policy that Democrats and Republicans have agreed on for many decades now. Um, if you know, for example. Um, you know, Social Security. Social Security tax applies to only the first $113,000 of income. Any income beyond that is not taxed. Mm -hmm. And so if that just single loophole were closed, the solvency of Social Security could be guaranteed for at least another 30 years. And we could even start to potentially talk about expanding the program because the average benefit is only $1,300 a month. You know, as we all know, in Hawaii, $1,300 is, is, is a tough, it's a very tough existence. Right. You talked a little about a little bit earlier about energy policy. Um, there's some there's some burning questions uh, nationally around fracking, um, natural gas. Where do you stand on those those questions? 
Well, we've all seen, you know, pictures of the impacts of fracking and drilling on our natural environment and on agricultural lands. And I'm very concerned about that. I don't think that we fully understand the nature of the chemicals and the processes that are being used for fracking. Um, I'm very concerned that there are going to be long-term impacts to the water supply of these communities, to the um, earthquakes and the, you know, the, the stability, the geological stability of these regions that haven't fully been researched. And so I would support scaling back um, further permits and further development of the, of the fracking industry until we can really um, have all of the fa- facts on a scientific level. Privacy is a 21st century concern. Uh, we're all posting our lives to Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Uh, should citizens have, have a... Um, have a right to privacy in, in the digital age? You know, that's one of the um, most interesting questions I think we're facing today, because as you point out, people are voluntarily exposing themselves to greater scrutiny than ever before in history. Um, but at the same time, from the federal level, we're seeing unprecedented searches of people's personal data, people's email messages, Literally every single phone call in the entire United States, the federal government was monitoring who was dialing, who was being called, the length of the call, and so forth. And when, you, when, we, when we hear about just the vast scale of the data collection, it's deeply troubling to me and to, um, I think, should be to everyone in the country. That's why we heard folks um, who were actually briefed in the United States Congress. I think Senator Merkley of Oregon said, if the American people knew what I knew, they would be absolutely outraged. And I think that's part of the sentiment that we're feeling now, now that a lot of these revelations have been made public. So um, do I think that there need to be, you know, do I think that the United States should have the power to conduct reasonable searches and seizures, um, you know, to keep us all safe? Absolutely. But do I think that the recent policies that have been undertaken by the NSA and the um, just the vast scale of the surveillance have gone too far? Absolutely. Okay. What's your take on the recent hearings in the last couple of weeks uh, with the Department of Interior and Department of Justice here in Hawaii on Native Hawaiian sovereignty? What's your take on it? Yeah, it's it's a very, very... Um, it, it's an issue that that is very, very close to home for a lot of people. There's no question in my mind that the Native Hawaiian people have... Um, have greatly suffered over the last century and a half, especially. And that the federal government does need to step up and take greater responsibility for what's happened. And in fact, there have been over 150 statutes enacted to recognize the special nature of the relationship between the Hawaiian people and the federal government. I think any process for um, Native Hawaiian self-governance needs to um, take place pursuant to the principles of transparency and openness and access to everybody and consensus building and you know allowing everybody to take part in the process but most importantly um, the 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 fundamental premise should be that this process needs to take place pursuant to the self-determination of the native hawaiian people and it's not going to be an easy process and it's not going to be a short process it's going to it's going to take a long time this is this is a process that has been going on for years now and whatever the outcome i support whatever process based that would be based on those principles 
Can you talk a little bit about why you're running for office? What's what's driving your desire to to be in public service and in the civic world? You know, the the inspiration for me for public service actually goes back to my parents. They were both immigrants from China. My dad started out in Waikiki um, as a beach boy, and. You know, that was the era back in the 1960s when the construction crane was a state bird, when there were great opportunities for young people. So he was able to, you know, eventually buy a home and put my brother and me through school and give us all these incredible opportunities. Fast forward to today, you know, 90% of my high school class went off to college on the mainland and most haven't come back. Um, My brother, who bought a house in Dallas recently, um, it's bigger, newer, nicer than our house here, and it was literally one-fifth of the price. And so I'm just concerned that, you know, um, that people are, that, that for, for our young people today and for every future generation, that that American dream that it was possible for my dad to have, um, to achieve, you know, is slipping away and that it's never been more difficult to start a family and have a good career and to buy a home. Um, for me as a progressive Democrat, one of the other, I think, very interesting aspects of that period of Hawaii history in the 60s and 70s especially is that was when really Hawaii was at the cutting edge of the civil rights and progressive movement across the country. So, for example, we were the first state to legalize a woman's right to choose in 1970, three years before before Roe v.ersus Wade. We were the first state to achieve near universal health care in 1974, 40 years before Obamacare. We were the first state to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment, which would have guaranteed equality between men and women. Um, we were the first state in 1993 the first governmental institution anywhere in the world to recognize the right to same-sex marriage equality was the Hawaii Supreme Court. And I don't think it was a coincidence that all of these um, uh, progressive advances in which Hawaii led the country and the whole world, really, um, came hand-in-hand with the most vibrant period of our economic growth and development for jobs. And I think that today, the issues might be somewhat different, but the principles are exactly the same. These issues that are... uh, important social issues that are important progressive issues like access to education like universal preschool like reducing the cost of student loans like giving students free years of college in exchange for national service or uh, immigration for example lifting the seven percent cap on any individual nation uh, for the number of immigrants coming to the u.s so we can reduce those wait times for chinese filipinos koreans um, and increasing the number of h1b visas for highly skilled workers so that we can take advantage of the best and brightest from all over the world and allow them to be here and remain here and contribute to our economy and create jobs here. Those are all, quote, social issues, unquote. But really, um, they're also economic issues because there's nothing, I think, more important to the long-term success and health of our economy than um, an educated workforce, than welcoming the best and brightest from around the world. And the list goes on and on. So that's why I think for me, it's important that we move those balls forward, that we be not just an ally, but a champion of these progressive issues, of these social issues, um, because I think ultimately the impacts on our economy are going to be great as well. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you a question that it's going to be a little bit um, ginger, I would say, because I, I know that you don't want to speak poorly of, of any of the competitors in your, in your race, but can you give me a sense of, of why our readers should vote for you and not for um, any of the other candidates, the Democratic candidates? Well, I'm definitely the cha- the candidate for change and fresh ideas in this race, for new leadership. And I, if you don't like what's going on in Washington, and if you don't like the direction that the country is headed, I think it is time for a change. 
Um, I think I'm also the candidate, clearly the progressive candidate in this race, not just an ally, but a champion for these issues that are going to advance not just our state, but our country and the whole world um, in terms of social rights, social uh, issues in, in the progressive movement as well. Okay. What are the, um, the, the, the key touchstone issues that, that you think differentiate you as the progressive candidate? Well, um, there are candidates, you know, well, of the major candidates, I'm the only candidate that's been supportive of marriage equality from day one. Um, there are other candidates who may oppose even medically accurate sex education or the scientific consensus on climate change or an increase in the minimum wage. Um, not only do I support those issues, I am a champion and will be a champion for those issues um, because they affect um, Hawaii. I'm also the candidate that has um, pledged openly never ever to cut social security and medicare that's an issue that is very personal to me because you know um in my family at least social security was what made the difference between whether or not we could afford a hospital bed for my dad who is elderly now and i know that we're not the only ones i know that millions of families across the country rely on social security and medicare as well and so we shouldn't be talking about cutting those programs back or you know uh, proposals like chain cpi I don't think I, I don't I, I think we need to be talking about how to expand these programs in the future. Yeah. In your um, I want to use the word utopian, uh, but in your vision of what a social net could look like in the United States, what's what's the full picture? And I mean, uh, I think some of our readers might be familiar with with the models in Scandinavia or in Great Britain, sure. Canada. What does it look like for you? Um, what would you like to see in terms of safety net? You know, um, there are a number of successful models all over the world. And I think each country is unique in its uh, economy, its culture, its history. But I think where we're all the same is that we all, I think, deserve to have a strong safety net in place for when times are tough and for when people are um, through no fault of their own in, in tough circumstances. So that's why I think Social Security and Medicare are so important for our seniors, um, that we should be strengthening those programs and not seeking to cut them back. That's why I think education is so important, because we need to start off everybody in this country um, with a really good set of skills so that not only can their careers be successful, but that our nation will be more competitive as a whole in the international um, economy. I think that's why... Um, Issues like immigration are so important so that we can attract and continue to attract the best and brightest around the world and put them to work, you know, advancing and developing our economy. Um, and so, you know, I think in the future, I think every senior needs to have security in retirement. I think every young person needs to be able to access a very high quality ed education without being burdened by tens of thousands of dollars in student loans. I think everybody should have access to housing that is affordable and that is high quality. And I think that um, people should have uh, access to good jobs that really maximize their talents and that enable people to have a good and successful life here and start a family. 